Amen. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, we're currently uh, walking through the book of Exodus. So if you've got a Bible, turn there now. We're going to be in chapter 24. I'm going to read from verse 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible, maybe this is your first time stepping into a church building. The verses are going to come up on the screen behind me. So follow along as we do as, as, I'm, as I walk us through this. So chapter 24, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Let me read from verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever is a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you speak to us. And so we ask now that as we hear your word by your spirit, you would help us to understand what you are saying. Help us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have been with us over the past few weeks, you might remember that this section in the book of Exodus is called the book of the covenant. 
God has delivered the people out of slavery, and he gives to the people the Ten Commandments, as well as all the, the legal and the moral and the cultural laws that flow from the Ten Commandments. That was, that was uh, and, then, and then right off the back of that, he makes his promises to the people of God, promising them protection and guidance as they serve him. Carl unpacked that for us last week, if you remember. But what we see in this passage here, in, in, in chapter 24 of the book of Exodus, is that God wants his people to understand not just what he has done, not just what he will do, not just what they are to do in light of who he is and what he has done, but more significantly, in this passage, he wants his people to understand their relationship to him that will shape the way in which they walk as his people, as they step into walking in his laws and commandments. That's what God wants them to know as, as they step in. And around the time of Israel, when they were a nation, and in around the, the world, um, at that, then at that time in history, covenants were a common thing, right? Covenants were common. And I just want to help us here by giving us a different definition of what a covenant is, because I think in our day, we're, we're slightly removed from that. Not entirely removed, just slightly removed. And so uh, this is a definition on the screen, but a covenant. So a covenant is a chosen relationship between two parties who make binding promises to one another, which includes various obligations decided in advance. Okay. Now, this is different to a contract where you have promises and obligations, but they're often impersonal and non-relational, right? So recently, we uh, renewed our internet package for Virgin Media, right? And, and part of that was, was I had to, we had to sign on and, and commit to giving financially so that we get the service that they provide, which is what? Decent internet. I mean, that's debatable, potentially. <laughs> Depends who your internet uh, provider is. But, but so, so I signed that on. Oh, no, that's a contract. And with covenants, promises are made to one another in a relational context. It's a relational context. And so and what you'd often see would be nations covenanting together as a way of often surviving for some nations. And for other nations, it'd be a way of, of them growing and expanding across the known world, okay? And so, so one example would be that you'd have a nation that, that's pretty weak and vulnerable. They have limited resources. Their military would be, like, would be next to nothing. And what they could do is that they would approach a larger nation, a more powerful nation, and they would seek to form a covenant whereby they could contribute financially whilst agreeing to owing their full loyalty to that nation. And the benefit that the greater nation would promise and give to the smaller nation would be military protection and land, along with all the other benefits that would come with being part of that nation. Essentially, the, the, the smaller nation would come under the wing of the greater nation. The smaller nation would essentially become one of the greater nation's own. And that's what would happen. And so th this was kind of the air that, that Israel were, 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 were breathing um, in, during the time. And because of their commitment to sh show complete loyalty to that nation, it would be expected that the smaller nation would have only one sovereign, so to speak. So if they took another, this would be treason, and the covenant would be broken. And now, as you can imagine, these covenants were established with specific actions, okay? Specific actions signaling 
the entering into the covenant. Now, if this is still sounding quite foreign, think about marriage. I think that's probably the, the best example that we have that is an example of a covenant relationship. So if a man and woman get married, they enter into a legal covenantal relationship where they bind themselves together in lifelong commitment and faithful devotion. Sounds pretty good, marriage. We, we, we're kind of familiar with that. We were just um, at a couple of weddings last week, but uh, Josh, we were at Josh and Megan's wedding, um, who come here, and, and so what, what happened when they got married is they stood opposite one another, they made promises to one another before putting on rings as a sign of the covenant, and then what did they do? They sealed that with a kiss. They entered a covenant, and there was a ceremony where specific things happened in a specific order. And so in a similar way, there would be a ceremony that took place as two nations joined together and they would have these characteristics. The sovereign nation would be identified. There'd be a summary of the past relationship between the two parties. There would be covenant obligations that the dependent nation would then, the dependent party would agree to. There would be provision for regular referral and safekeeping of the covenant. There would be witnesses to the covenant. And then there would be a list of blessings and curses should either party fail to keep the obligations, right? That was the kind of standing order. And so, so that was the pattern of these covenants that was common throughout the time of Israel's existence. And so what we have here in this passage is that God calls the people together to meet with him at the mountain as they begin a ceremony that straight away the people will recognize as very similar to the sorts of covenants that they were used to seeing. That's what was happening So God was speaking to his people in a way in which they understood. Now, if you remember where we're up to in the book of Exodus, God's delivered his people out of slavery, and as he enters into covenant with them, he declares over them that he is their sovereign and that he requires their loyalty. He'll protect them, he'll give them land, and in return, they must be loyal to obey his commands. Now, look at verse 3 with me. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, think back to the Lord and the, and the, and the, the, the words of the Lord and his rules. How did the Ten Commandments start? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of out of the house of slavery. That is the first action. God identifies himself as their sovereign. Whilst giving a summary, a summary of their past relationship, he is God, the people are enslaved, he has delivered him, delivered them. And then what do we see happens next? And all the people answered with one voice and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The people agree to uphold the obligations. And we see there that all the words are written down in the presence of a witness. Essentially, God is saying to the Israelites, I am entering into a covenant relationship with you where I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you land. And you are going to obey me and walk in my ways because I want what's best for you. But I also want to use you to show off how great I am to all the other nations around because I know that they're going to need me. And the people say together with one voice, we we want that. We want that. 
And I think this is one of the moments where we're kind of figuring out, okay, did, he, did, he, did Israel really meant that? I think they did, and I think God affirmed them in that. I think that's what we see, the ceremony unfolding. And so as God establishes this covenantal relationship with his people, I think there are three significant aspects to the covenant that help us understand the relationship that God is forming with his people. And for Israel, who'd just been given God's laws and commandments, this was so important for them as they journeyed on in the land. This was so important. So the first, the first thing I think we see is that this is a covenant that required obedience. Look at verses 1 to 2. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Now we've seen, what we've seen, God has delivered a people out of slavery in Egypt, and he uses a guy called Moses, right? He uses a guy to, to lead God's people, and God speaks to, to Moses, if you remember it, in chapter 9. He, he says, tell my people, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so what we've seen is that God calls him a people to himself, but in order that for them to enjoy his presence and to be fit for his presence and to walk in a calling that they have, which is to display his glory to the world around them, they must obey God. They must obey God. They have to walk in his ways. They have to follow his laws. They have to be obedient. And if you remember that scene where God gathered his people to the mountain and speaks to them out of the cloud and out of the smoke and out of the thunder and the lightning, as his presence descended on the mountain, you will remember the fear that overcame the people, the fear that overcame them. They were warned that if they touch even the edge of the mountain, they would die. And so what they did is they set limits around the mountain to protect them. And God says to Moses, go down, warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, and look, and many of them perish. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian uh, this morning, what we see as, as we read from God's word is that in the beginning, God created everything. And he created everything for us as humans to enjoy. But as the story of the Bible unfolds, what we see is that humanity rejects God's good rule and reign. And this rejection, the Bible calls sin. And sin distorts everything. And since God is holy, since God is good and is perfect and righteous and pure, he cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot be in the presence of sin. Of, of sin, but instead of making an end to humanity, what we see is that God withholds his judgment and puts sinful humanity out of his presence. Now, if we could sum up the book of Exodus, and actually, I want to say, can we sum up, we could sum up the whole Bible, whole story of the Bible, we could say this, God in his mercy and grace saves a people back to himself, and through this people, he displays his glory to the world. That is the story of the Bible. And what we see here is that God is establishing a covenant with his people, but in the midst of that, they need to recognize that in order for them to enter the 
God's presence. And to enjoy God's presence, they have to be obedient. They have to be obedient. And so God enters into a covenant with his people that required, it required obedience. And the second thing is it was a covenant based on grace. Look at verses 7 to 8. That he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So the people confirm that they want to enter this covenant and they agree to upholding the obligations of the covenant. These are all written down for regular referral. We see that. And now what would normally happen in one of these ceremonies, what would happen is that towards the end, at this point, that there would be a list of the blessings on one side and the curses on the other. And so if both parties kept the obligations, these are the blessings that would follow. But if either party failed to keep the obligations, these are the consequences. But what's interesting here is that God does it different. Look again at verse 8. God wants his people not to look at a list, but he wants them to behold the blood. He doesn't want them to look at a list. He wants them to behold the blood. And so, so what, what happened? So Moses directed some young men to slaughter some oxen. I'm like, these are pretty willing men who would just jump up and, well, I could get graphic here, but I mean, the Bible's pretty graphic, but just slaughter some oxen and, and collect the blood into basins. Half the blood was thrown against the altar. The other he threw over the people. And, and Moses says, have this moment embedded into your memory. Behold it. See what is happening. Feel the blood splash over you. Feel that. And see, what God is showing to his people is that his covenant is not like those that are formed between other nations. See, if a covenant, if a covenant was made between two nations, obligations would have to be kept, right? If the weaker nation failed to keep them and show its loyalty, what would happen is that that would release, that would release the other from their obligations to allow that nation to attack the other. That's, that's what, would, what would happen. So the weaker nation's obedience essentially was the basis and the foundation of the covenant. If their obedience and loyalty went, so did the covenant. If their loyalty and obedience went, so did the covenant. And so as Israel enters this covenant with God, God, God wants them to know one significant thing. This covenant is a covenant of grace. See, the obedience of God, the people's obedience was required, but the people's obedience was not the basis of the covenant. Everything didn't hang on their obedience, even though it was required. And let me show you three re reasons why. The first one is the covenant was based on God's initiative. Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Look at verse 8. See, in the covenants they were used to, the, the nation in need, what would happen is that they would go to the greater nation and they would beg before them to, to take them under their wing. And they would offer payment in order to get what they needed. What did they need? They needed protection to move through the land. And so they would seek out the greater nation in the hope that they would be willing to form a covenant with him. That's what, that's what happened. 
that the creator of the universe, the one who says all the earth is mine, the one who doesn't need anything or anyone, the one whose power can't even be compared to the strongest army, armies put together, speaks to a small and weak people, a people that grumbles as it's led out of slavery, a people that complains when it's fed food from heaven, a people that argues whether God's presence is really among them when they've just seen water come out of a rock. God says to this people, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make a covenant with you. I hope we're seeing this more and more as we walk through the book of Exodus, because this is so foreign to the way that the world works in which we live. So foreign. God is a God of grace. He's a God of grace. You know what that means? He reaches out to us. The God of the universe says to the weak and to the broken and to those who are in desperate need of saving, and he says, you are mine. I am choosing you. That's grace. And the one qualification you need to be, that you need, if you want to be saved into the kingdom of God is this, you need to be a mess. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Jesus says he came not for those who are well, but he came for, came for those who need a healing. Those who recognize that before God, they have no standing. Those that recognize that what they deserve is God's judgment and condemnation. God chose Israel. Israel did not choose God. God is a God of grace. And the second reason that he is establishing this covenant of grace is that the covenant was based on life-giving words. Right at the end of the covenant ceremony between two nations, they would read out the blessings and curses that come with either upholding the promises or, or failing to uphold them. But what we see here, that, that God, God gives Israel a vivid display to help them understand the blessings and curses that would come for them depending on how they responded. He don't give them a list. He don't give them a description. He gives them the three-part feature film of, 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 of what he wants them to remember. He shows them through the blood. He shows them through blood. Verse 8. Moses took the blood, he threw it on the people, and he said, Behold, the blood of the covenant. See, blood represents life and death, right? Blood inside a body is life-giving, brings life. And so, and blood outside of a body brings death. And so what God is saying is, look at the blood and see that if you walk in my ways, it will go well with you. It will go well with you. It will be life-giving, but if you turn away, it won't. It will only be life-taking, and it will only bring Death, keeping God's laws and God's commandments is a matter of life and death. God wants his people to have that embedded into their memory in this moment full of blood and gore. <laughs> so when a nation uh, lays out the obligations of what it is to show loyalty to the ruler of that nation, they, they do it what's in a way which is according... They do it according to what's best for them, right? Of course they do. So most of the time you can imagine it was a little bit of an inconvenience for the, the ones having to obey, but, but they did it because they had to. Why? Because they needed protection and security as they moved through the land. But God shows his people that in obeying him, that is where life 
is found. That's where life is found. He's not, some, he's not some ruler in a distant country, but he's the ruler over everything. All the earth is mine. That's who God says he is. He's the creator, and they are his creatures. And so when God gives them the laws and the commandments of how they are to show loyalty to him as they walk in the land, he wants his people to know as they obey, there is blessing in obedience. As they obey, there is blessing in obedience. If they live the way he knows it's best, he knows it's best for them to live, they'll find out that it would be good for them. It will be life-giving. They're not just obeying laws to get what they need. It will be good for you. It will be, the, cre- the creator is helping the creatures know what's best for them if they are to live and enjoy being in God's creation. Think about Israel in Egypt. What, they were slaves under a harsh ruler. They did what they had to do, and it was horrendous for them. They got nothing out of it. As Israel continue on in obeying God's laws and commandments, they are to look back to this moment and remind themselves again and again and again that walking in God's laws and commandments is life-giving. It is not life-taking. It is good. I think as Christians, we, what we can easily do is, is pit God's law against God's grace, right? We talk about law versus grace. When actually, if we understand God's law rightly, what we see is that it is a gift of grace that God gives us his laws so that we can walk in a way that our creator designed us to live. We live in nothing but grace. And the third reason it was a covenant grace is this. The covenant was based on forgiveness. Not only did the blood show them that the covenant was life-giving, but it also showed them that the covenant was based on forgiveness. The blood showed them that the covenant was a matter of life and death. God's people had to understand that for in order order for them to be in the presence of a holy God, they had to obey. And if they didn't obey, they would deserve to die. The punishment for sin is death. And for a holy God, a holy response to sinners is judgment by death, the spilling of blood. But what God does here is that he shows Israel not just what would happen to them if they failed, but that when they failed, there would be a way back for them. There would be a way back for them to be forgiven. So Moses, he gets some young guys to gather some oxen together. They kill them. They drain the blood. He throws half of it on the altar, half of it on the people. But by throwing it on the altar, the place where God is represented, they can know that God's judgment has fallen because a death has taken place. They can know that. But by throwing it on the people, they can know that their sins have been forgiven and they get the blessing of being at peace with God. But what's significant about what happens here is that the blood is thrown first on the altar and then on the people. The blood is thrown first on the altar, and then on the people. In between that moment, the laws and commandments are read out, and God's people in verse 7 say, all the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. First, the people are made right with God, and then in order to stay right with God, as they commit to obey, they are sprinkled with blood. Because God knows that as Israel enter this covenant with him, they will fail to obey. God knows that. 
And so God, in his grace and his mercy, says, along with this covenant, blood will be available to you to maintain the relationship as you seek to obey. So this covenant relationship was not dependent on perfect obedience. That's why God provided the sacrificial system. It wasn't ultimately dependent upon that, but they had to know that if they were to walk in willful disobedience, it would lead to the breaking of the covenant. It would lead to death. He wanted his people to know that if they reject him, it will lead to death. Blood will be shed. It will have to be. Covenants with the other nations could be, could be broken the minute, the minute there was failure to obey. God makes his covenant with his people where he is willing to forgive. He's willing to show grace. He's willing to provide by shedding blood for his people. So the covenant, it was a covenant that did require obedience. It did. It required obedience. But the covenant that was a covenant that was based on grace was based on grace. And finally, the covenant, well, thirdly, the covenant was a covenant full of joy. Look at me at verses 9 to 11. Then Moses and Aaron at Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of, of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. <clears throat> what, would ha- what would often happen um, after the covenant ceremony would be that both parties would come together for a meal to show their participation in the covenant and to celebrate, right? Think of a wedding again. What happens after a wedding? We all have a feast and enjoy being in, in, in each other's presence as we celebrate the covenant that has just taken place. Now, presumably, this would have been the leaders of the nation as they were the ones chosen to lead on behalf of the people um, and would have made the covenant happen. So God, what God does, he gathers, the Mo- it gathers, gathers Moses along with the elders of Israel and brings them up the mountain. And they see God. But they're so drawn by the beauty of what they see around the feet of God that they don't even get to lift in their eyes to what's above. Now, I think that was partly because if they, they recognize that if they did lift their eyes, that, might, that would be too much for them. I think there is that going on. But, but they were so caught up in the beauty of what they saw around the edges of God's glory, and that was enough for them. Me, me and my wife um, were celebrating our three-year anniversary last night definitely got a long way to go but there we go three years in the bag and we, we were so we were given a voucher um for one of those fancy restaurants in town um and so you can imagine we went all out i mean when you have a voucher you know like well let's go for it and so we went out had a few starters and drinks on the side now i you you know when the starter comes out and the starter is good you know that the main is going to smash out of the park right you know that, you know that. And so, and so when the start, the, the elders, I think the elders experienced something of that. They experienced something of that. So Psalm 16 says, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy at his right hand. And, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Seeing the smallest glimpse of God is enough to bring joy and contentment and satisfaction that lasts a lifetime. Guys, think about what the fullness is going to bring. To think about that. Amazing. The elders were invited into the presence of God, and as well as falling on their faces at the wonder of God's being, they ate and they drank 
in God's presence. Now, I think this tells us a lot about the joy and pleasure that they had in God's presence, but I also think it tells us about the relationship that God wants with his people. See, eating and drinking is a, is a sign of, of deep fellowship and of acceptance and belonging. It says in verse 11 that, that, that God, God didn't lay a hand on the chief men of Israel. They were safe in his presence. The blood covered them. God's wrath had been turned away. God wants his people to know him and enjoy him, but also to enjoy one another as family. Now, one of the reasons we eat together as gospel communities is because it reminds us that we've been welcomed in. It reminds us that we've been welcomed in and that we welcome others in. We're family. We are family. We are for one another. Why? Because God is for us. God wants his people to know that the covenant that he forms with his people is deeply relational and deeply personal. That's why God invited the elders up for a feast. He wanted them to know him and enjoy him. God established a covenant with his people that required obedience, that was based on grace, that was full of joy, but it was a covenant that was ultimately insufficient. It was a covenant that was insufficient. See, the problem that we see throughout the history of Israel is their disobedience. That's what we see. God provided everything in order for them to walk as his people. God made a covenant with Israel so that they would have life. But what do we see as the Bible story unfolds time and time and time again? What did Israel do? They disobey. They push away God's commandments. They choose death, and they turn away from his law. And what we know from this covenant is that it required obedience. Israel had to remain faithful in order to continue in God's presence. The covenant required obedience. But the one thing that the covenant could not do was bring about obedience from within the hearts of the people. See, in verse 12, God brings Moses up, and he gives Moses tablets of stone with the law and the commandments written on them to give to Israel. But it doesn't matter how many times that they're read out to the people, they still don't obey. They still don't obey. The problem with the human heart is that it is dead because of sin. It is dead like the stone on which God's law are written. Israel didn't obey because they didn't have the ability to obey. They were set on disobeying, and their disobedience was the death of them. And what we'll see in a few weeks is that this covenant, this covenant gets broken. See, God makes this covenant with his people to show them, to show humanity something. We need a better covenant. We need a better covenant. Israel had a covenant based on grace. If they failed and disobeyed, there was forgiveness for them. They had a way back through the blood, but there was no way for them to give the perfect obedience that God required for humanity to be in his presence. They had no way. They could not give the perfect obedience that was required. Now, you see at the end of the chapter there, Moses 
Moses is, the, is a faithful one. He goes up into the mountain, right? He goes into the glory of the Lord. But what we see later on in the book of Exodus or through, throughout the next few books of the Bible, what we see is that even Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Why? Because of his disobedience. God requires perfect obedience if we're to be in his presence. And this is something, along with the Israelites, we can never provide. Moses couldn't provide it. He was the faithful one. He obeyed at times, but other times he disobeyed. And guys, what we, what we saw earlier was, was that God was, was willing to shed blood so that his people could come into his presence, right? We saw that. That's what the oxen were for. Blood was thrown on the altar and blood was thrown on the people. And no matter how many times we are forgiven, no matter how many times the, the blood covers us in the reality is we as humans cannot obey God. We cannot do it. We cannot meet the requirement. We cannot get right with God through the way we live. We just can't do it. And God was showing his people that he would be willing to shed blood if it came to it. He would be willing even to die. So the good news of the gospel is this. The God of the universe steps into his creation by becoming human so that he could experience death. And what we see at the cross is that God the Son, obeying his Father perfectly, takes the wrath of God against sin, against our sin, upon himself, so that we as his people are washed by his blood, receiving all the benefits of his obedience. At the altar of the cross, perfect obedience is provided for whilst humanity's sin is atoned for. Do you see that? God doesn't stand before us saying, I'm willing to shed blood for you. God stands before us saying, I have shed my own blood for you. I have shed my own blood for you. I have obeyed in your place. See, the Israelites, they looked on at Moses as he went up the mountain, as he climbed the mountain, as he moved up towards where God's glory was. And as he entered into the glory of the Lord, you can imagine the Israelites were, were maybe at a distance watching on at this scene as Moses goes up. And the reason, the reason the people looked on Moses as he did that is because God wanted to see that it would be by watching another go in that they would go in also. It was by watching another go in that they could have confidence that one day they would too it is through faith in Christ, faith through what he has done at the cross, faith in the power of the blood that we receive a forgiveness that reaches into our hearts and cleanses us from the inside out. See, animals atoned for sin. They did. That's, what, that's, what God, that's why God had established the sacrificial system, but they could not reach into the hearts of God's people. We don't just get forgiveness for unintentional sins, but we get forgiveness for all sins, past, present, and future. By faith in Jesus, we enter into a new covenant with God, and it is a better covenant. By faith in Jesus, we are given his obedience so that we as his people have the ability to obey. This is not a covenant that is written on tablets of stone, but ultimately, that ultimately brought death it's not of the letter that kills, but it's of the spirit that gives life. And by faith in Jesus, we enter into a covenant where not only do we have the ability to obey, but now because of the grace of God, we have now been given the desire to obey. 
By faith, we enter into a covenant where obedience is required, but we enter into a covenant where obedience is given to us. It's by faith in Jesus as the one who came down and was cast out by dying on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead, bringing humanity into the presence of God that we will one day follow him into the glory of the Lord. We will. One day we will follow him. And for the Israelites, it was so important for them to understand their relationship to God as they continued on seeking to walk in God's ways. And so I think what God wants us to know this morning is that we as Christians, this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, have received so much more. And it has all been sealed by the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have made a way. We praise you that you have made a way for us to be in your presence. And we thank you that we have been made a way because Jesus was willing to die in our place. So we thank you for the blood that cleanses us and purifies us. We thank you that Jesus, in your obedience, we are given a perfect obedience so that we can walk as your people in your presence. So Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for that this morning. Amen.